Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's the Brian Lehrer TV Club. We are watching the final season of Parks and Recreation together for the fun of it and because it's the wonkiest, nerdiest, public policy-loving sitcom with Emmy Poehler you'd ever want to see. In this final season, one storyline is that Amy Poehler's character, Leslie Nope, now working for the National Park Service in Pawnee, Indiana, is competing with a tech company to acquire some land that the company wants to use for a corporate office park and Leslie wants to use for a national park. This week, the writers had the satirical blade slashing away at the tech company called Grizzle, kind of a mashup of the worst things about Amazon and the worst things about Google, like when Leslie opens her door and is totally freaked out by a blue flying object hovering outside her house, a grizzle delivery drone. Ah! Oh, my God, Ben! We're about to die! Good Lord! Oh, my... The robots have come for us! I made fun of you when you said it would happen, but your novel has come true! Hey, Leslie Nope. Please enjoy this free gift, courtesy of Grizzle. And with that, we welcome back NPR-TV critic Linda Holmes, joining us every week for this series. Hi, Linda. Hello. And as our special guest for this week, Amy Webb, founder of Web Media Consulting Group and the data columnist for Slate. Amy, thanks for joining us. Hi there. So, Amy, do those delivery drones actually exist yet in real life? There was certainly news about them when Amazon announced their intention to use such things. You know, that scene was so perfect. Um, Drones do exist, and the ability to use them to deliver items exists, but, but nobody's using them quite like that just yet. Is it coming? You know, um, there's a high probability that that retailers could use uh, drones to deliver packages. Um, I mean, a high possibility. It's 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 improbable. I mean, if you you know, I live on a very busy block, and if we were all getting our deliveries at the same time, that there'd be some tricky navigation for all those drones flying around. Um, so I, I think it's it's improbable, at least in the in the sort of near future space. Not to mention, will it fly to the window of apartment 6M? <laughs> exactly. Well, that's actually, that's actually possible, right, For if you, if you live in a walk-up. Um, that, that's more likely than somebody actually making the delivery and it still being in your doorway by the time you get home from work. So, Linda, part of what I liked about that opening scene was that it didn't just develop Leslie's competition with Grizzle for that potential parkland. It showed how any ordinary human might be freaked out at first if they opened their door to find a flying robot hovering to deliver their package. Pretty strong opening, huh? Yes, I I think so. And I think what they've done really well with this time jump forward where this is all taking place in 2017, what they've done really well is they are close enough to things that people have at least seen prototypes of that it doesn't seem outrageous. It just seems funny and extreme. So, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's right on that uh, right on that line. And the way they mostly tweaked Amazon and Google was to make fun of Google's sometimes questionable posturing about uh, having pro-social values, right? Like in real life, Google has the motto, don't be evil. And on the show, what was it? Grizzle had the motto... Just be it's, chill, something it's like that? something like, wouldn't it be something sweet or something, if everyone was chill to each other? Right. And it's, they have really, uh, they have really um, embraced that, that kind of phony, 
uh, jargony, friendly way that tech companies sometimes talk. They had a guy who was the the VP of cool new shiz, I think. <laughs> it's, you know, they, they have really uh, had a lot of fun with that particular aspect. And so here's another clip as the plot revolves partly around how Grizzle engages in data mining, super intrusive collection of information about people for the sake of more profit. Uh, so, for example, here's a scene in which a Grizzle tour guide describes a new product that monitors your mood called Grizzle Vibe. As you know, the cameras on your phones are always on, whether you're using them or not. I'm sorry, they are? This app uses facial recognition software to track your expressions. It's always watching. Well, what do you do with this information? Well, if the camera senses that you're in a bad mood, then we could geomatch you to, say, the nearest cup of sweet pick-me-up Java. But if you're in a good mood, then we could geo-nudge you to, like, a sweet coffee shop. You could just keep the good times rolling. So it's really just a coffee sales app. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we're developing with Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) Amy Webb, is there anything like Grizzle Vibe in real life, either in terms of monitoring your mood, yes, through whatever biodata, or in terms of steering you toward a product? Yeah, I got to say that scene and that show, they're, they're both so smart. And that scene particularly was so funny because there are elements of, of what they're talking about already in existence. So we're monitoring uh, and researching a company right now that's scanned 2 million faces um, in videos and photos, and it is uh, able to predict with a pretty high degree of certainty how you are most likely to react um, to a product or, or to what somebody's saying based on your you know, micro um, movements in your, in your face. Um, you know, we know that we can geotarget people. Our, our phones, basically, unless you are uh, capable of turning off a bunch of things, um, which you may not even know exist, your phones are monitoring your location and a, a bunch of other things about you sort of all the time. Um, th- there's not one, you know, a- incredible Starbucks integration just yet that, uh, <laughs> that will help, you know, lift my mood. Um, but, but all of the elements um, that were in that scene do exist. They all exist, and those capabilities, uh, you know, we're, we're getting closer and closer to having all of those capabilities in a singular device, um, which, is, which is what made that episode and that, that scene so brilliant, um, but also, I think, freaked a lot of people out. And we can add in a few stories here from listeners, members of the Brian Lehrer TV Club today. We can take a few calls with your data mining horror stories, 212 WNYC, when did any of your devices or the web companies that know how they work freak you out with how much they knew about you or how they were trying to use what they knew about you? 212-433-9692. Also, any Parks and Rec watchers with anything you want to say or ask NPR TV critic Linda Holmes about the series? There's just four more weeks to go in the history of Leslie and Friends as Parks and Rec concludes its final season, and we'll be talking about it each Thursday uh, until the end. 212-433-WNYC, 433-9692. And that scene that both of you liked so much uh, continues to develop, so let's hear another clip. When Leslie asked the company tour guide... So, uh, Roscoe, how does Grizzle know all the things that someone wants? Are you guys... I don't know, whatever, data mining? Oh, hells yeah, dog man. Our super rad algorithm searches all your texts, calls, banking, medical records, blah, 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 to learn what you really want. And from snacks to new books and movies to when you ladies need to score some new pawns. I mean, we might know you better than you know yourself, Leslie. (laughs) So 
by the way, the the actual corporate motto for this fake company Grizzle on the show that I couldn't remember before is, wouldn't it be tight if everyone was chill to each other? Tight. I was saying sweet. I should have known it was tight. Right. Sweet's the name of their fake coffee company. Um, but wouldn't it be tight if everyone was chill to each other? Like, don't be evil. So, Linda, I was wondering how old the writers are because aren't older people much more freaked out by this idea of companies like Amazon and Google knowing too much? But younger people see it more as just the information landscape we're living in and it provides a lot of convenience. Uh, I, I cannot speak to the, the ages of these particular writers. Uh, I think they're young-ish, but I think um, I think what the I think what they're getting at in that entire story is that everybody feels people feel that tension between on the one hand, uh, when companies know a lot about you and can give you a lot of what you want, there's a certain instinctive appeal to that. But on the other hand, the more you think about it, the creepier it seems. There was a guy uh, in that episode who collects, I think it was uh, stuffed pigs dressed as actors. Uh, so he had one that was uh, that was um, a little pig dressed up to look like Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction. And it's such a bizarre collectible, but he realized that because they knew this about him, they were able to give him one as a, a kind of a free gift. And what he said was, they have no right to give me this thing that I will treasure for the rest of my life. And I thought that was a wonderful statement of that tension where, you know, on the one hand, hey, it's great if the company knows exactly what you want, but the amount of information they have to, ha- to have to have to make that happen is is unsettling. Right, which gets us to really the political aha moment of this week and maybe this season, because Ron, Les- Leslie's old boss, the pro-business libertarian who's a contractor for Grizzle now and will do the construction of their office complex on this potential national parkland, he doesn't care about national parks, but libertarians are into privacy. And so he gets flipped when a Grizzle delivery drone arrives at his door with a gift for his child knowing that this is a gift that the child would like. And Ron goes over to Leslie's house carrying a damaged drone. We need to talk. What is that? This is a flying robot I just shot out of the sky after it delivered a package to my house. I thought you didn't like to pass judgment on this. The package was addressed to my son, who is four years old and does not own a grizzled doodad. Somehow the robots looked at Diane's computer and learned something about my child and then brought him a box of presents. So it destroyed the robot. Huh. So, uh, Amy Webb, politically speaking, in the real world, how much does the privacy issue and the data mining juggernaut unite a certain kind of liberal and a certain kind of conservative or libertarian these days? That's such a great question. Um, I think that you know, from an academic point of view, I think it unites them pretty uniformly. Um, but I think in practical terms, people are so unaware of the vast quantities of data that they are cre- creating and sharing every single day um, that, you know, that until something so dramatic like that happens, uh, and that was such a great scene, Ron shows up with a, a busted up drone in the rain, um, you know, until something like that that comes home, um, you know, we, we don't think about it often enough. And in my case, you know, I, I, my husband and I are very concerned about our daughter's privacy. We sort of created this digital trust fund for her. So, you know, we don't create any digital content. We don't post photos. You know, we don't, we don't do any of that. We try to create as little data as humanly possible about her so that she can have some sense of, of future anonymity yeah. if, if that's what she wants. But we order stuff on Amazon. 
right? She, you know, Amazon knows a whole lot about my kid, and and I'm somebody who's actively trying to to not have that happen. So, and and I think we have a story like this from a listener, Andrea. Hi, thanks for calling. Andrea, you there? Something about you? Yes, your th- I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, your three-year-old. Yes, my son. Um, I mean, both of my kids regularly will take my iPhone and like watch Netflix on it. Um, you know, like if we're waiting somewhere or whatever, and yet yeah, usually that's what I figure they're doing. My son took my phone when I was doing some work on my laptop, and I got an email from my cousin asking where where the photos were taken from. It was like a Facebook email that I got. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I found out that somehow my son had been flipping through the photo album on my phone, and he, like, sent them to my Facebook page. Uh-huh. And then did your son get targeted with ads? Not yet. Uh, honestly, I, I, like, never on Facebook, so, <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't, I don't think right. so. But. Hey, but there's the potential. Andrea, thank you for participating. So, Linda, to that plot point, like a good libertarian— Ron shot the delivery drone with his gun, <laughs> which was yes. both both creepy sad because it wasn't actually physically threatening anyone, but also very touching because he did it to protect his four-year-old from corporate overreach. And I think it was the emotional climax of the season so far. Well, it's funny to, to look at, I think you're right, the emotional climax of the season so far and see that it is still an extension of the show's underlying philosophy philosophy about government and public policy, which is that these things are not binaries where you have liberal conservative, you know, pro-business, anti-business, whatever, that that Ron has a complex set of feelings. On the one hand, he tends to want to leave businesses alone to do as they will. And if you if you own, as he would put it, a grizzled doodad, then that's your own fault. But on the other hand, when it does come home to his own family and when he feels that that line has been crossed, He's the first one to, to actually shoot the drone out of the sky. So, you know, it's it's both a personal story and a, and a policy story and a statement about the way that people relate to each other, both in public life and in private life. And I think that's always been the show's kind of killer uh, quality for me. And I guess if common ground is possible in our polarized political country, maybe Leslie and Ron are the personal exemplars of that. And maybe that's how the series will end uh, three or so weeks from now. So thank you both very much. And a very appropriate episode to air on the week that somebody managed to land a drone on the grounds of the White House. Indeed. Yep. So Linda Holmes, host of NPR's entertainment and pop culture blog, Monkey C. We'll talk to you next week. And Amy Webb, founder of Webb Media Consulting Group and the data columnist for Slate. Thank you for joining us for this week for the Brian Lair Show TV Club.